0: Welcome to Blink of an Eye, life stories of trauma, loss, awakenings, and epiphanies. Beginning with one mom's journal entries recorded in real time of a catastrophic diving accident rendering her teenage son paralyzed from the neck down and the courageous fight to save his life. Told through unedited text and journal entries and inspiring guest interviews blink of an eye will take you on a powerful journey of advocacy and hope, and an unvarnished look at the true nature of our relationships and interconnectedness in the face of an event that changes everything.
1: Season 2, Episode 23, Radical Acceptance. Hello, dear ones. I hope you're well and rested after a Thanksgiving holiday for us in the United States. And I heard from other listeners abroad that they like to celebrate our American custom too. It's a wonderful holiday of gathering, collaboration and gratitude for what each of us is able to bring to the table. Our gifts, our talents, our best food secrets, And we hope the little break gave you some of the chance to catch up on past episodes of the story and some trauma healing learnings too. On top of a beautiful Thanksgiving for us, it was still a busy week for me. Guess what? I was preparing to give a TEDx talk. Yep. I was invited to be a TED speaker on a special week celebrating women with the TEDx great mills. This is what they've posted on the TEDx website. Join us on December 7th at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we hear from three women who are imagining new possibilities and exploring new ideas for how we might live and work better together in the years to come. These incredible women discuss topics ranging from trauma, hope, and healing, to belonging, and how to build a better community. This virtual evening is free. Donations gratefully accepted. Stay afterwards for an interactive panel session. Our speakers, Louise Vip-Sempt. is a deep need for hospitalized trauma patients and their families, especially in the first 30 days, to help, and support those affected to make realistic medical decisions. Louise discusses how to guide and motivate those dealing with trauma to navigate this arduous journey. Danielle Duval adams when you learn a new piece of information that is inconsistent with strongly held beliefs, how do you respond? Danielle shares her thoughts on how a better tomorrow Will require all of us to work together rather than focusing on our differences. Kat Moore. Belonging is our deepest human need and yet loneliness is a national crisis and non-belonging is driving droves of workers to seek new employment in hopes of mattering somewhere. Kat asks, what if we could become wi-fi hotspots of belonging? in our daily grind to the simple acts of slowing down and paying attention to each other. Please register for the TED Live event at www.tedxgreatmills.com. And you can listen in anytime thereafter, too. Just Google TED Talks. Well, welcome to episode 23. Radical acceptance. I'd like to explore with you what that means. Radical acceptance. What comes to your mind? My sense is that many of us might be quick to think, resign yourself, just accept. You can't do anything about it. While others might say, It's all okay, even in times of great stress and change. Yes, this can be powerful thinking, and maybe that is part of radical acceptance. It might also be the kind of thinking that creates a bypass that we want to be aware of and discerning about. Heck, sometimes the body creates the bypass for us, When our overwhelm is so great, we're not able to fully metabolize or work through that overwhelming situation at that time. And that can be an intelligent response in the short term. But if we regularly just say, accept it, and we simply stuff the negative parts that have impacted us, we may be setting our nervous systems up for unnecessary and stressful patterns of reactivity, and not being as responsive as we were originally capable of being. Oh yes, the way we think about something has powerful consequences for our bodies and our health and for our relationships and for impacting what is possible. I've considered that radical acceptance might not be resignation exactly, nor giving up, or it doesn't have to be. And it's not a way of thinking that leads to a long-lasting bypass. I think there is something much more and something much more profound. Something in this world And something in the spirit world that guides us on living into the experience of radical acceptance. And it begins with radical inclusion, as we discussed in Trauma Healing Learning 21, and expands to something even more vast. In the Companion Trauma Healing Learning 23, Radical Acceptance, I want to delve further with you into what radical acceptance might mean in your life, sharing with you wisdom I have received from some somatic healers, from some wise theologians, and from an evidentiary-based medium who have all helped me along the way okay where we left off in the blink of an eye story it's sunday night august 30th archer is not transportable out of atlantic care our lives are hanging in the limbs literally we are all holding our breath waiting to see if archer's body will respond to one of the chest tubes that was removed from Archer's side. Our hope is that the hole in his right lung would seal on its own with the air pressure from the tube now removed. The medical staff was experimenting and learning that the chest tube and ventilator might actually have been backfiring, not giving Archer's punctured lungs a chance to do what they could do naturally. (laughs) Sort of like trying to fly a kite on a nice windy day, but someone turning a large fan on on top of the kite, not allowing it to billow on its own. Well, if it works, and I was hopeful, then Archer will be stable enough for transport somewhere, we are also waiting in the lurch to hear from the Shepherd Center if they will accept Archer which I feel they would but the Shepherd Center was still waiting on Atlanticare to release Archer's records for review more than the scanty few they released even though I authorized and requested his complete medical records to be sent yes there was concern that records were being withheld. I was concerned that Archer might be in such bad shape that the Shepherd Center might not take him. We were praying and hoping for a miracle. Billy and I had traded places at Archer's bedside as the other parts of our family needed attention too. Dutch and I had driven back to Baltimore to get ready for school, and the kids and I had met in a family meeting about the unknowns. There were so many. We were doing our best to anticipate and prepare for something. We didn't know what exactly, but we all felt it would be some kind of major change. And we were waiting on Archer. To be comfortable with the possibility of leaving his friends and Baltimore for a difficult rehabilitation. If that were to unfold for us, I'd asked Billy to keep us up to date while I was in Baltimore for a short time. In the look back and gathering up of original source materials for this episode. I thought you might be interested in what I found that Billy had written over six years ago covering this day and evening while he was bedside with Archer from the perspective of a dad. I was moved when I found them and amazed as I didn't know Billy used Facebook much Neither of us had been big users before Archer's accident. Billy's postings will also take us into August 31st, and you can perhaps hear what I hear as his deep sorrow. I couldn't imagine the depths of Billy's anguish, not only about Archer and all a father may have wished for a son, but also about a project Billy and I had been closely working on for over three years before the accident. Billy had been anticipating what may have been the high point of our business and our professional careers. The launch of a book we and our publisher had thought might be a bestseller. What does it mean, radical acceptance? Of the handful of Facebook entries from Billy during this entire time, here are a couple of them. A move that he picked up the baton to keep the family and friends updated, as that is really not his thing either. Maybe you will be touched as I was to hear what was on his mind. So settle in, settle your spirit. Just notice what comes up for you, what it is that stirs in your body. It might be inviting you to think in a new way about what you need to accept or haven't wanted to accept in your life. Okay, here we go. Back to August 2015 at Atlanta Care Hospital in the Trauma Intensive Care Unit. Episode 23 Radical Acceptance Life can change in the blink of an eye. August 30th Sunday evening Day 26 From Bill Archer had a quiet day today. He was stable and seems to be gaining strength. He is keeping a positive outlook, although there are, of course, times when his situation overwhelms him and he just stares ahead and asks for pain medication. Those aren't too often. Mostly, it seems, he just wants to sleep. Not much interest in what is going on in the world, but very interested in our reading to him the cards and notes so lovingly written and sent to him by so many of his and our friends. He has a big challenge clearing any secretions from his throat and his chest and it causes him great discomfort, spiking his heart rate and blood pressure. But he is strong and works very hard to use the muscles he has command of to take care of himself. We're starting to look at options for moving forward with this care. Thank you for your prayers. We want to be wise in making these decisions. It was late when I called Billy. We talked for a long time. He spoke in ways that were not familiar to me in over 30 years of marriage. I had not ever heard him this way before. He was sort of dispersed and fragile. He gave me a window into his anguish and his wonderings about the work of evil in our lives. Maybe you've thought about that too. But as I listened to him, I felt a rush of solidarity with him again, as we vowed to not let any of this break us. I still felt we had been orbiting on different paths the last few weeks. And I know trauma can be like that. I had not even known where Billy was on many days. It was scary as I also knew how trauma caused many families to break up. But he had really showed up at that prayer vigil in Baltimore for all of us. And he had spoken to a large crowd of people and to news reporters, but also in a way he had never before. Pilly is a very private person. It is not his thing to speak publicly or to speak without a script he has thought a lot about. And many people had texted me about that and also about his Facebook post. They noted he was very anguished about our book that was set to come out this September. Yes, I was sad about that too. Here is his next Facebook post. Paula added it to the other Archer blog post on www.beingrelational.com Thoughts for August 31st 2015 day 27 Monday from bill our beloved Archer is stable today he actually has had a great day with physical therapy on a tilt table that got him almost vertical for the first time we are thankful because it has been a roller coaster since his spinal cord injury on August 5th. We will never forget this August. Archer's path is becoming more clear. Intensive inpatient rehabilitation for several months. Then, well, we just don't know. But it is good to at least have some confidence about what lies ahead for the next several weeks, when so far we have not been able to feel like we could look ahead even hours, much less days or weeks. For Louise and me, however, our path in managing this moment in our lives is not so clear. This was not at all what we envisioned for August 2015. The timing of Archer's injury. It's complete random nature. His innocence in causing it. All these things make it seem purposeful to us. Is it? We don't know. Maybe not. But maybe it is. We feel that God is very actively involved in our lives, especially at this particular moment in time. Tomorrow, September 1st, 2015, is a day that we have spent three years working toward. Three years deeply thinking, reading, talking, and dreaming about the essential elements of being relational. What makes for quality interaction between people? What attitudes and actions bring on lasting, positive change? Three years organizing it, naming it, writing it, and Louisa's working with the publisher another nine months, and then being shocked at the challenge of living it and the implications of it for every issue our world faces. Now it has become a reality. September 1st, 2015 is the release date for Being Relational, the seven ways to quality interaction and lasting change. It has been offered into the stream of our culture in hard copy, ebook, and on the website of joinorans.org. Will it matter? We so, so hope it will because we so, so believe in it. Our mission in writing Being Relational and in creating the nonprofit Orans is to connect people by spreading understanding about good ways to interact and to love and care for each other. Our hope is that even though we might not agree on politics, religion, morality, or truth, we can find unity under a common understanding of what it means to be good to each other and how to relate to others in ways that are both good for ourselves and good or others, even if others aren't good towards us, even if we have no relationship with them, even if we disagree on issues important to us, and even if we see them as bullies who do not in any way deserve to be treated with kindness and care. The events of the past month have been an affirmation for us of so much we write about in being relational we have felt your embrace your offering of prayers and support to us we feel connected to you by love that is what being relational is about please know that we are grateful pope francis has said quote an authentic faith, which is never comfortable or completely personal, always involves a deep desire to change the world. We want to change the world, as ridiculous as that might sound. We wrote being relational with that hope top of mind. In our work as mediators, and in our everyday lives as citizens and community members and parents, we see so much that divides people and pits them against each other in transactional interactions. And yet, we know that somehow all of mankind is connected by love in ways we cannot comprehend. We are connected even to people we consider enemies. Archer's injury and the response to it we have received have shown us this truth. We have seen the love and care for him and us radiate out to many, many people connected by love to us, to the hundreds of people we know and love and the hundreds that each of These people know and love, and on and on exponentially. We believe there is a connection of love that very few, if any at all, are not part of. Being relational is about treating everyone as if they are connected to you through love. We have been the recipients of that and know it is real people that we do not know and do not have any relationship with have given us their love, not because we deserve it or earned it or because they expected anything in return. They just gave love because they had it to give and felt the desire to give. How simple, how powerful. To us, it feels like a seed has been firmly planted, maybe like a tiny mustard seed, <laughs> quote, semft" end quote, in German. It has sprouted and is growing. We want it to continue to grow and through the collective prayer and energy of the multitude of people that have been touched by Archer's situation, we expect miracles, not only in Archer's recovery, but also in growing the idea of being relational. And Orin's, which seeks to spread that idea and change the world, Orans translates in Latin as prayer and it represents our prayer for a better more peaceful world full of people connected by love we believe it starts with each of us looking hard at how we relate to others being conscious of what is going on being deliberate and how we respond and being discerning and how we interact. We believe that also extends to our collectively being relational and how all of the organizations that we are part of conduct themselves. Asking ourselves, is my family relational, my company? My community, my country. Being relational is a big challenge and a big idea. You can read more about it at www.beingrelational.com and buy our book at Amazon. We also created a nonprofit, the Orans Institute. Orans want to change the world, one interaction at a time. Do you want to join us in this great adventure? No religious, political, or other affiliation is required. Just a desire to grow in understanding of loving ways and to spread that understanding to others in word and deed. We are not sure how the story will unfold or what its end might be. But here, anticipating September 1st, 2015, we feel that it is unfolding. And we know Archer is a big part of it. We believe there is meaning and purpose in every step of this journey. There is a lot of work to be done and fun to be had. And if you want to be part of that and help us change the world, go to www.joinorans.org and join us at the Join the Movement page and make a donation if the Spirit moves you. Or email us at orans at beingrelational.org to let us know how you might want to get involved. We need anyone with energy and a heart full of love. Writers, commentators, photographers, social media mavens, fundraising event producers and promoters, campus organizers, music lovers, and other roles we haven't even dreamed of yet. Thanks for reading this. Love, Bill. As I read that, my heart was so heavy. I was also so grateful for all the people who bought Being Relational at the bookstores and on Amazon. I had a chance to interview Billy and also Christine Bolaris, the chief editor at our publishing house, HCI whom I worked closely with on the publication of our book, Being Relational. Billy reluctantly agreed to talk about any of this. As I shared, he is private. You will hear from Christine and then Billy and then Christine and then Billy again. Billy and I looked back together six years later. And it was a first for us to open this delicate conversation and Christine provides good context about what went into the publication of our book. So you might have a sense of his heaviness and our hopefulness and how much our dream seemed to be changing. Isn't it amazing? Um, You know, when we, researched uh to send our publication around and had been told you could take the shotgun approach and like send it out a hundred times or you know they're top the top 10 um and of course we saw our publication as being something that was really meaningful and we're like oh we're gonna go with the top 10 and then we started looking around and you guys were way up there but it was around this self-help the whole shtick that HCI stands for, which is what attracted us and why we submitted, and we submitted only one to one publisher. Oh. And it was to you all.
2: Oh, we're honored.
1: And you are just a huge piece of what the book became. So anyway, so back back to you and, and your story um, with HCI and, and then you became an editor there. And I mean, how did that work? And then you were the lead chief editor. Right, yeah, the woman who hired me, um, it was like
2: a month after I started. She said, well, now that I know everything's in good hands, I want to move to the West Coast. And live among <laughs> the <redheads." laughs> so literally, she said that. So off she went and all of a sudden, I'm yeah, I'm in charge. And there are just, you know, a couple of us. So I'd you know, hire somebody, I hired, you know, one of our freelancers, but, um, yeah, that's how I ended
1: up moving, you know, up was unexpected. I'll be darned. Well, life, life changes like that unexpectedly. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah. And then the company kind of exploded, you know, right after that. So, you know, I was in the right place at the right time.
1: It did explode. I, um, you're speaking of, because of chicken soup for the soul.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think at the time it was like it was an international publishing phenomenon. I think it was the best-selling self-help book.
1: Around the world.
2: Around the world at that time, yeah.
1: I remember when I first stepped foot um, down in South Florida, and I I remember thinking too, like, is is this right? That this amazing publishing house, and we're going to be part of it? I was in a cab coming from the airport. (laughs) and um and thinking is this the right place um (laughs) and, and then realizing once I got there just how huge um the premises and the facility was and and then the tour my eyes were just sparkling at all the rooms and the printing presses and the potential and the possibility it was just extraordinary so, so Christine, tell us more about the editing process and any kinds of things you might remember about our working together.
2: Um, well, it's you know, it takes a lot longer than I think people realize. Yes. Because you know, we do a developmental edit, so you send the manuscript in, and then you know, I would go through it and you know, make comments and ask questions for clarification, and send it back to you, and that can you know, be a couple of months you know, in that process. Well, you know, we're also all juggling other things too. Um, but, and then we get that back from you, you know, fully we worked out of, you know, everything, um, which you are so easy to work with, you know, and, you know, took criticism, it was always constructive criticism, but, you know, I think we were able to, you know, come to compromises easily and, you know, it's never an issue.
1: No, I so welcomed sure. feedback.
2: But your, you know, book came in very well written too, you know, from the outset. Not everybody is like that, you know, but you were particular about, you know, what went into the book. But that was that's good.
1: Do you remember writing to do the updates? Yeah. When I read them to you, did they bring back any familiarity
3: Mm, a little bit but I, I don't remember writing that although it did sound like me
1: yeah it did sound like you didn't it well there were a lot of unknowns then and I think you said it well that you know you didn't remember you were experiencing trauma did anything come back to you about the book launch?
3: I remember vaguely working with PR by the Book.
1: Right. Vaguely. Yeah, we worked with a company in Austin. And and. Not there in Nashville. Well, they did have an office in Nashville. Good memory and then there was the other company in New York all doing PR or about to start the PR that was supposed to start exactly a month from launch date and that's when almost exactly Archer was injured so all those PR contracts that HCI had set us up with were all scuttled. I do think it was hard back then. I think we were actually still trying to have a book launch party. We had Melissa Greenhouse sending out information and Loretto Kane. And we had a
3: whole plan for the daggums. Orrin's
1: Institute. You know, this episode I'm writing right now is called Radical Acceptance. And oh. um, that's why I couldn't wait to talk with you yeah. because of all this love that. and work that had gone into what we thought was a really great book and also a beautiful book. Mm-hmm. And then to not have a big launch pad for it was really painful.
2: Oh yeah, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, it really was. It's extraordinary to me that it still became a bestseller at Amazon in what the cat. I think it was communications and social skills.
2: Yeah, they have all the different subcategories mm-hmm. and. I think good books always find their way.
3: I have a real way of, like, flushing things out of my brain. And so I feel like a lot of that might have just gotten flushed. Usually takes a lot to sort of trigger memory for me. Doesn't just. Um, I can't just randomly go in and say, "Oh, what what was I thinking in September 2015?" I can't just. I can't do that. Now, if there's some sort of reference, which you gave me those texts, which that was, or those posts, that's fine. But I don't really remember anything that I was thinking around then, except that. It was like, okay, I guess that stuff all has to sort of go on hold. But we couldn't really not release the book. The book was being published when the book was being published. That was not something we could say, oh, no, don't do that.
1: We're not ready for that. Yeah, it was already in all the bookstores and at Amazon and Barnes & Noble and the independent bookstores, all that. You're right. That was... That was all water under the bridge at that point. I just know it was really heavy, and um, and then I think it was put into perspective at the time of we just this that's just not going to happen because we've got a higher priority, which is Archer. i think that our spending the 3 years of writing being relational and honing it so that it was very digestible for anybody right a high school kid a college educated person a adult you know an executive whatever whoever a mom a dad that In some crazy way, I think we were prepared and lived as best we could being relational through the crisis. What do you think about that?
3: Yeah, but not necessarily consciously.
1: Mm, maybe not. It was very conscious for me. And ironically, because we did have a book that was in the public domain, or was about to be, and we had to be authentic. That's how I felt about it.
2: I just hope, you know, your listeners, maybe they'll find the seed for, uh, you know, creative spark. Yes.
1: Yes. Thank you. Thank you for (laughs) saying that. I so hope so. From journaling to just being reflective, um, because that's how we can begin to metabolize our sufferings. Mm
2: -hmm. Right.
1: Uh, There there might be some (laughs) sparks of of genius, um, in our (laughs) listeners that actually make it to a page. Well, you know, trauma affects people differently. That's for sure. Yeah, and you've just described a few ways of being, you know, pretty numb. Just flushing it out of your brain. I
3: didn't flush it out of my brain at the time. i flushed it out of the brain (laughs) since because it's been...
1: A long time. How did you flush it out of your brain?
3: I don't know. That's just what I do.
1: <laughs> How do you do that? I
3: don't know. I
1: don't do it consciously. That's what I think the folks in the trauma field and my own learnings would put that into that category of numbing. When you get rid of something unconsciously where you actually are not getting rid of it, it exists, it's probably somewhere in your body, in your cells somewhere, but your mind has chosen not to focus on it. Because flushing would call upon a a somatic experience where you actually experience where that sadness, and shock, and pain, and fright, and out of control. All those things where they were experienced in the body. And then when you can locate that, you can then add to it the mind component that can metabolize it. I mean that's what this whole episode is about. It's radical acceptance. And radical acceptance, I don't think, is it's okay. I think radical acceptance is it's painful and there are other parts that are not painful. I think it's accepting all. Because just it's okay is kind of a bypass. What does radical acceptance mean to you?
3: kind of like uh, the uh, surrender to win concept. It's basically that you try, you stop trying to control everything and you just accept it and, and you can move forward or
1: Something about the, like the big, grand flow of life.
3: It's not trying to control the outcome of everything.
1: Helen Palmer had a great expression that she would use often in our meditations with the Enneagram group. And she'd say... You're just that little tiny boat bobbing on the large ocean. Mm-hmm. I love that image. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's me. A little tiny boat bobbing in the ocean. <laughs> Trying to take care of the other little tiny boats around me. Yep. Yeah. Well, you do a good job of that. I try. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Hope for everything, obtain everything. Thank you for tuning in to the Blink of an Eye story. You may continue listening this Saturday the trauma healing learnings that accompany this story at trauma healing learning 23 radical acceptance thank you for listening and telling your friends about blink of an eye together we are raising the vibration for healing
0: you've been listening to blink of an eye we ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration a lift or who may relate Never miss an episode. Listen on our website, blinkofaneye.podcast.com, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored by I See That, the Integrative Center for Trauma Healing, Advocacy, and Transformation. I See That is a multidisciplinary nonprofit that provides tangible support, trauma healing education, and advocacy for those experiencing crisis or trauma. To donate, please visit www.icthat.org. That's the letters I-C-T-H-A-T dot O-R-G.